Welcome everyone to the Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so dedicated to the show that he launders his unmentionables in herbal soap only. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Argumentation is a skill. Being argumentative is a sign. The Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 302, please, is brought to you by Albanian Syndicate Brothel. Mother Teresa has some tale for you. Pete, on the Pop Culture Podcast, it's been a rough week. The cancellation of Luke Cage, a week after the cancellation of Iron Fist, but we shall Daredevil on. We have uh, already recorded and released a, uh, a Luke Cage podcast uh, to talk about the cancellation, to talk about the future of those associated characters on the heels of covering Iron Fist last week. Uh, still in motion is the future, Matt, but let's get to Daredevil. Order in the court! One more outburst and I'll hold you in contempt. Let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due. The episode opens on a statue of Mother Mary, a physically and emotionally beaten Matt Murdock in the foreground. Fade to Fisk, appearing equally emotionally beaten. Cut to Agent Ray Nadim and the FBI entering a mansion and arresting an Albanian with a Mother Teresa tattoo. It's a big day for Agent Nadim. Thank you, Wilson Fisk. Cut to Fisk in prison, pumping some iron like a fantastic geek gonna do. And he's spotted by a dude with a shiv who stabs the snitching kingpin. But the king's hand is easy, not killing the man and waiting for guards to arrive. The title sequence shows that the episode is written by Jim Dunn, veteran of shows such as The Dead Zone, Crisis, and Hand of God, and directed by Lucas Etlin, who has directed episodes of Krypton, The Last Ship, Black Sails, and... Marilyn Manson, No Reflection, the video short. Back to the episode, Sister Maggie finds the beaten Matt. She chastises him for not letting himself heal before retaking the mantle of Mr. Daredevil. She's not going to give up on him. She's heard God's call to become a nun all those years ago, and her service has taken her here. She has had crises of faith along the way, but still has returned to her calling. Flashback to young Matt Murdock and hair dyed father lantum the latter knows about the former knowing the script better than sister dora they talk about his anger his ability to argue in the present day matt wanders up to the church pews remembering when as a boy his powers first revealed themselves matt reflects that he thought he heard prayers so he could help god answer those prayers lantern wonders if maybe this means the time has come for matt to stop helping god Outside, Matt asks a dry cleaner where a more herbal competitor might be. Matt finds the organic laundromat and shakes hands with the worker, the worker missing a finger. He dons the black suit and breaks in after hours. The laundromat's storeroom seems particularly well-appointed with guns and an interrogation chair. Matt turns off most of the light, but not all of them. It's a TV show, after all. He fights the goons ably, punching two at a time, and zip-ties their wrists calling 911. At the FBI, Nadim's partner gives him a veggie sub and a tip. Other agents are looking to capitalize on the bust. He tells his boss, Tammy, that he should run the Fisk detail. 
She reiterates his finances preclude him from running the operation. Nonetheless, he talks her into it, for now. Later, he sees the patched-up Fisk, who has found the shanking profound. Everyone knows he's a snitch, he feels unsafe in prison, and can't help either Vanessa nor the FBI if he's dead. But the NYPD and DA Tower aren't ready for a cushy house arrest for cop-killing Fisk. The conversation isn't going anywhere until Nadim jumps in. Those in the Fisk orbit have gotten away until Fisk started to squawk. New York is safer tonight because of Wilson Fisk. The NYPD commissioner, identified because his jacket reads, Commissioner, can't argue with that. Fisk gets moved by the FBI toward a van that we may have seen at New York Comic Con. At the New York Bulletin, enterprising top reporter Karen Page talks with editor Ellison. He wants to send a particular story her way, but she's working on something big. Reports of respiratory illnesses on a particular block, Midland Circle. Ellison calls that story over, preferring to send Karen to the next story. She's got until the end of the day tomorrow to talk to the lady in the hospital. Karen does that, but the saddened daughter Nita doesn't want to talk. Certainly not to the press about her ailing father. Karen can relate. The story of her brother's death lingered and stuck. The daughter relates to her father's attack and their being saved by a man in a black mask. Later, with Karen gone, the black mask arrives, suggesting that Nita go ID the goons at the 15th precinct. Elsewhere, outside Nelson meets, Uncle Foggy is there for the family shindig. Ma's concerned Pops is getting too old to sling meats in Hell's Kitchen. The arthritis! Maybe Foggy should give up his high-powered law degree in Co in a deli? Did Ma just really ask that? Pop is proud of him, though. Later, Foggy thanks Brother Theo for taking over the shop. Are things really fine how they are? Coincidentally, Karen arrives saying that she thinks Matt is alive. He doesn't believe it at all. Fisk in the van, on the move, monologues about being alone and free and finding love in Vanessa and learning that love is the perfect prison. He'll do what he must to protect her. And right on cue, an explosion hits the van. Fisk awakens upside down, still chained. Outside the van, FBI agents are mowed down in a hail of gunfire. The Albanians have come to get their revenge and use a metal cutter on the protected van. Then they fall dead too by an FBI agent with impeccable aim. Dex, as the subtitles identify him, tells convict Fisk not to move. Outside the hospital, Matt is aided by handy expositional emergency room doctors receiving the wounded from the Fisk attack. They note that Fisk is out of prison. Objection, Your Honor, is badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Pete, definitely the Albanian syndicate, including the so-called Mother Teresa. Uh, that was a great story moment, by the way. I'm going to assume that that was not a real tattoo on a real Albanian, um, but that was just a great little story flourish moment. And an Albanian with a tattoo of a uh, Catholic saint to boot. Uh, yeah, that that was great. I'd love to get a little bit of backstory, literally, <laughs> uh, about the back. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this Albanian syndicate. I, I gotta throw a little cold water on this. We've never ever heard about them in all of this 
Marvel, Netflix, New York stuff. They've said to be a threat for seven years. They took down who in this episode, Matt, a deputy mayor, right? Deputy mayor, whole web of corruption, Pete. Yeah, these are some bad dudes, particularly the carnage wrought in the second to last scene of the episode, uh, hitting Fisk's caravan there. Um, okay, they're, they're, they're new players to us, uh, sold out by Fisk. Just kind of funny that we're just hearing about him now. I, I get it. There's going to be times when you need to to bring people in, maybe make it like, all right, they're new players instead of they've been around for seven years and killed over a hundred people. Pete, would you have preferred if instead they said this all has to do with the hand? Under no circumstances whatsoever. Well, then I think in that regard, I will take the Albanian syndicate in in all sorts of Albanian money piles, whatever they use to mark their money. I'll take a whole bunch of those for it to be uh, for it to be the Albanians and not the hand. Pete, next on the list, should Fisk be on the list? <sighs> I mean, knowing what I know, uh, I I won't speak to certain things, but. Um, his presentation in this episode in particular is very, very interesting. Have you noticed, Matt, how they've shown him uh, with a five o'clock shadow for the first time we've ever seen the character? I did notice that, yes. Yeah, and only D'Onofrio can can do these things. I'm No, dear listener, I'm not saying that only Vincent D'Onofrio is such a good actor he can grow facial stubble. Um, but make facial stubble part of his performance. He actually looks gaunt for the first time in this role as well. He looks haggard. If there's manipulation going on, I don't buy it. The, the whole speech, the soliloquy in the van before they get hit about prison being I'm sorry, love being the perfect prison. Um, I come back to another speech delivered in police custody in a van about I am the ill intent from the final episode of season one. I mean, just just put D'Onofrio in a car and roll tape. Well, I have some thoughts about that that I will bring up during the uh, during the theory portion. I will ask you this, Pete. Do you think method actor Vincent D'Onofrio can only film scenes in which his character has a five o'clock shadow? Will he only film those in the afternoon when the beard growth is is organic to the story? Or can he just show <laughs> up in the morning having shaved the night uh, before? Or maybe perhaps they give a, you know, a shave at a, at, at a you know, with a, thing on so it's not a, a, a full shave or does he just demand like it's six o'clock i can't do this scene with five o'clock shadow even better he's like a chia pet or um like with play-doh where you would push it through the holes of of the head of something and it would come out like hair uh he can do that on command yikes 
My eye approached the bench. It's time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge. Pete, while on the one hand, the episode was, I don't want to say heavy-handed, but made its presence known in terms of reminding us that Fisk can be a guy who can get into people's heads and Agent Ray Nadim, don't forget your finance thing and you, you're easily twistable. But here's my take for Fisk in the episode. He wanted out of prison. Pete was the shiv guy, encouraged, paid, pressured, whatever, to shiv Fisk in a non-vital area because everybody knows on TV when you go lower left quadrant or lower right quadrant. <laughs> it's TV code. It's TV code. It's, it's like, like two w- gunshots is TV code for your dead. Uh, you know, um, hitting uh, nothing vital whatsoever is right. TV code. You, you get for- shot in the shoulder. Everybody yeah. knows that there's no muscles or bones there and you're okay. And you get back on your horse and you say, Shane! And everything's fine. So is did Fisk want out of prison and get what he wanted, at least on the way to house arrest, not counting the whole Albanian attack thing? Not going to answer that. I am going to ask you a question. He didn't. Why didn't he react when he got stabbed other than throwing the uh, barbells down? Well, I think that's meant to show us a more introspective fisk uh at least on the surface i think that maybe no 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 no. i'm not talking about um when he was gonna deliver the the coup de gras with the 45 pound weight i'm talking about uh, immediately after getting stabbed all he did was roll over that barbell um i think you and i are in agreement he's he paid this guy to do it paid it to look real enough uh Perhaps the guy received the money and then when he reacted, uh, thought that, oh, he paid me, but now he's going to kill me. Please don't kill me. And he left him alive and he's bought his silence on top of that. Well, I think that lack of reaction, that just feeds into the notion that he was preparing himself uh, for it. And it wasn't this, you know, this uh, A2 Brute kind of shocking moment. If I stabbed you in, in that quadrant, I'm going to get an ow, right? Or an expletive. Well, A, I'm not tough like the kingpin. And B, <laughs> I haven't... like a baby? <laughs> I haven't psyched myself up that I just need to take this little stab. And then that helps get me out of Cinderblock prison and get me back to the prison that I want to be in. The prison of love. of love. Prison of love. Didn't Billy Ocean sing that? Um so, yeah, I had a similar theory. Is, is this pretend with Fisk um, that the getting out of prison, uh, obviously the way that uh, Wilson Bethel's character is introduced for the first time in this episode, you know, FBI agent that refers sternly to Fisk twice as convict. Um I think between Nadim and between Wilson Bethel's character, who we're going to learn a whole lot more about, um, this notion of, of Fisk as a puppeteer is a very interesting one to pour over as this season unfolds. Not a theory, an anti-theory, Pete. Aside from 
discussion exterior of the narrative about things revealed things thought to be as the season was being filmed things revealed at new york comic-con articles that may have been written by people who have seen the whole season etc excluding all of that can anybody not watch that last scene anybody with a passing knowledge of daredevil mythology can anybody not watch that scene and go wow this dex guy um not only do he shoot real good but he can like throw a knife with great accuracy it's almost as though he's <laughs> always able to hit his target well, you got to remember, and if we're podcasting this one at a time, we do not have that identification on screen yet. So, well, uh, we do in the subtitles, but even without that, like I it, didn't, I didn't yeah. know that there was a character who had Dex in his name. I would not have known that until New York Comic Con, uh, kind of reminding me of a, of a connection. And I guess we're tiptoeing around it a little bit for the listener. But Pete, we saw that scene that that van scene at New York Comic Con, and, and you know it was leading towards a big reveal and it struck me even more this time. And, you know, we had nice seats at New York Comic Con and saw the screen at, at a pretty good angle. But watching it this time, it's like, wow, this guy hits targets with pinpoint accuracy. I kind of call into question a little of the cloak and dagger, no pun intended, around this character. Or I guess conversely, the fact that they did reveal his true trajectory I uh, can't New York. believe they told us at, at New York Comic Con. I was I was stunned they let that out. Uh, I know they said it's one of the worst kept secrets. Maybe they worried about the international press tour they were preparing to go on and that it would come out. Um, I come back a little bit more to wow, that's a wonderful sequence. I've watched it four times and it's it's held up every single time. Um, the the ricocheting of bullets off things and i get it you're in a comic universe and and that kind of thing but i, I feel they've just slightly oversold some of the accuracy i would take you know oh i hit you with um knife at you know 10 paces more than and and even the shot that goes through the tinted window of the uh the crashed uh black suv but the one that goes off like the stop sign onto the guy, it felt a bridge too far. I certainly did not catch the ricochet off the stop sign at New York Comic Con. And that's kind of my point now that like if you have passing knowledge of these characters, maybe Pete in grand Daredevil tradition, we won't say the name at this point. But like when it ricocheted off, that's when I was like, OK, no wonder they came out and named this guy in his full official comic book name. Deadshot. Um, <laughs> I mean, just because it was, I felt Target like it, man. I felt like it to me. It wasn't necessarily over the top because it is MCU and because this guy is known for doing things like that. But I was just amazed. Let me put this way, Pete. If they were trying to play this cat and mouse of who is he going to be? No man can say until the big reveal in episode three hundred eight. Like, no, they confirmed it in his first scene. About the FBI uh, moving forward here, Matt, we've got two FBI agents. We've got uh, their boss, uh, all these other, uh, you know, whether it's DA Tower or uh, other brass coming in to, to as uh, Dean puts it, try to eat. And um, where's Agent Madani from Punisher? Ooh, that is a really... Good question, because she was one of the 
she was a great character from that season. Fantastic. Like you couldn't give me a name check. Like, Oh, Madani's on leave. You know, otherwise she'd be wetting her beak in on this collar to deem. All right, I'll give it to you, but get that FICO score up. <laughs> Pay back those student loans ASAP. Otherwise, Madani's getting the case. Pete, maybe there's going to be a reference in upcoming episodes because that it just calls for it. It calls for it. Uh, foggy. Um, the The family angle we're seeing for the first time. We see mom, dad, the brother. Um, here's what I found a little difficult to believe. And I got to wonder where it's part of the story servicing. Would his family want a really successful lawyer who's now in another firm on a partner track from his old firm where he was a partner and was accepting goods in return for services? Would they be on him? to come back and help out at the family deli? No, the short answer is no. And I find it difficult to imagine. Uh, it's not, of course, to say that uh, working at a deli, owning a deli is any more or any less than being a, being a well-educated, successful lawyer. But look, I mean, we have in the story of Pops, who, you know, in his 60s now kind of can't do the core things of his job because he's getting old and it's so physical and whatnot i mean i don't know to me it was just like how does mom note how dad how this job is rough on dad and then be like hey give up your you know great law job to come run this deli when there's already a brother and if you know what if the brother doesn't want to do it okay maybe you sell the deli you cash out whatever it is like that is the nature of a family-owned business versus entering the 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 kind of credentialed world and and that being a different ball of wax and being part of a large firm and being licensed and you know, all, all of that it's just a different existence and i can't ima- i mean i feel like pete i feel like most most kind of blue collar business owners would be would would celebrate the fact that the family can continue to own the business and then part of the family also is in kind of is out of that world of, oh man, the 4 a.m. egg delivery, you know, and things like that. Again, not making a judgment one way or the other, but. Uh, well, I just, yeah. I look at it from a logistic, like the monetary ask that didn't come would seem to me, and maybe they don't want to be predictable, you know, oh, rather than ask you for money, hey, no, you've earned that. That's your money. We want you to come back and work, though, and not make much money in the family deli, you know, to keep the family deli going with, you know, your dad's, um, you know, condition going. I don't know. It, it just struck me as as odd. I mean, you have to finally introduce Foggy's family. And they indeed told us at New York Comic Con that had become and we saw the part of the scene that occurs right after he talks to his brother where um eldon henson talked about how they they found an actor casting found an actor that looked just like his real life brother um but it, it yeah i just i question a little bit you know not like hey son can you spare a little bit so we can stay open instead of it's like when are you leaving law and putting on an apron 
we'll see how the story unfolds. I kind of read that story sin that I think we both are agreeing is a is a bit of story sin. I kind of read that as just a a way to jumpstart whatever discussion is ahead in terms of family drama, or if it's just family inter- uh, introduction, rather, whatever it is, it was a way to kind of jumpstart things in there without maybe the immediacy of, man, we can't make rent, so we're going to have to close it down unless you can help us out. Oh, you helped us out. The problem is over. This is kind of more of a, a of a lingering emotional situation. Is Nadim still alive? I sure hope so, since he's a... You know, Jay Ali is in the credits as a member of the cast. Now, that's not to say you can't swap him out or take him out earlier or Janet whatever. Maybe Jay Ali. <sighs> maybe Pete. Maybe are they the same person? Was he killed in <laughs> shower scene in Psycho? Well, you had wondered aloud um, at New York Comic Con, like, oh, we saw him. I sure hope he makes it past that scene. <laughs> <laughs> And I squirreled that one away. I'm like, I'm going to ask Matt that. Did he make it through the scene? I feel like too much um, too much story real estate has already been given to him in these two episodes to make us feel sympathetic to him and his situation to just simply kill him off. Uh, is it impossible? No. But, I mean, again, you could have him recur and not be a full member of the cast. So I'm going to say he makes it out okay, and then you get – great story stuff in terms of did he play a role in this hey he suggested getting fisk loose were we you know were we tricked by him he who we thought might trick us things like that i think there's tons of story potential with him alive we've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies Here's what you had to say. Pete, take us to Facebook for some reactions. Andre Yeager, Matt, writes in, great podcast as always. To answer your question, yes, a credit check is part of all background and clearance investigations. It determines vulnerability to bribes. Pete, here's what I love, that we have listeners so Mm -hmm. worldly, so knowledgeable, that we can just put it out there. And and say, hey, is it real? You know, because it's it did sound reasonable to us. We were not calling story foul, but for us to, oh, to put out the call and say, hey, is it true that when you're getting a job in a secure position like the FBI, that they do a credit check as described here, and that they would know your your particulars? Pete, we ask the audience; the audience answers back. That is so incredibly rewarding. It is. Thank you, Andre. Debbie Fisher also writes in my favorite Marvel Netflix show. Yeah. Well, let's hold on to these Marvel Netflix shows while we have them, Pete, because, you know, watch them, get other people watching them. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There's there's six of them, including Defenders. And with the, you know, with the news, as discussed in our our Luke Cage podcast yesterday with the news that. The plan was always to not bring back defenders. <laughs> I don't buy that that was the plan, but with with that gone and Luke Cage and Iron Fist, Pete, we're halfway down here, and uh, yeah, l- l- let's hold on to what we got for now. Did the Thanos snap eliminate those characters? That's what it feels like. <laughs> That's what it feels. The, the the Thanos snap took out some people at Netflix who took out these shows. <laughs> Could, could that be a backdoor fix to this? 
oh my god has anyone seen luke and misty and colleen and danny rand of rand enterprises and ward and joy they're gone davos not davos (laughs) oh man time will tell pete time will tell with that i know that one constant that we can have as we start to wrap up this reflection on episode 302 is we are going to be back podcasting episode 303 on wednesday they haven't taken that from us pete it still is on the netflixes not yet well pete how can people be in touch with you as this season unfolds we got these full 13 episodes pete let's enjoy each and every single one especially with an uncertain future for marvel netflix we're only two in so that's Math tells me 11 to go. How can people be in touch with you to talk Daredevil? You can tweet links of articles about the cancellation of these shows to me at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. I kid, none of these shows better get canceled. Pete, and while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with a PH. In the wake of the Luke Cage cancellation, it was the place to talk about it, to vent about it. So you want to be part of that. Like it today. Yes. Interesting, Pete. Twitter was kind of the place where there was the gnashing of teeth and the sharing of crazy theories. And it seems Facebook was the place of kind of more, more uh, reflective, considered discussion. I don't know what that says about the world, but that <laughs> seems to have been the case, at least in our little corner of, uh, of the MCU. I mean, listen, most of it was in Albanian, but there you go. <laughs> well, that can't be a problem now, can it? Pete... As mentioned, we'll be back on Wednesday on the Daredevil feed to talk the next episode of Daredevil. Of course, if you join us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be back on Monday to talk God Friended Me. It is unless, of course, Pete, they take something else away from us and we have to do another cancellation or red alert or emergency or whatever it might be. Let's hope it's not that. So with that, Pete, I will say Lam Tumira to our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. Now I need a shower. I'm back. Back in the New York.